We'll be in Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 21. And again, if you forgot your Bible, slip up your hand, and, and John's back there. He'll grab you a Bible. It's okay if you ran out of the house without one. We want to make sure that you can follow along with us, though. So, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 21. And by the way, um, as you're turning there, whenever you get a chance, make sure that you give, uh, tell Eric and tell Gabe's not here, he's on vacation, but Rob and Kelly, man, tell those guys, those folks, thank you. They do an amazing job week after week to make sure that the video's up. They, now we're streaming live on YouTube as well, um, but give them, just give, tell them thank you. And also, if you're looking, if you love tech stuff, I think they need some help too, so they would love to train you and to teach you everything that you need to know. So, but talk to them back there and make sure you say thanks to them. So I'm sh you're there by now, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Okay. So follow along with me. We say, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall, and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith and to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so let's pray. Father, this morning, Lord, again, we just want to take one more moment and, and set our hearts, God. We, we ask that you would um, speak, God, through your word, God, that our hearts would be attentive, that, that we would um, let you have your perfect work in us. Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning— um, I just want to look at, we're going to take a, a pause as we just finished the books of, of 2nd and 3rd John. And we want to look here um, at the gospel. And I know that many of you, I know, I know your faces and, and, and we've, we've um, conversed. I know you've been here in church and you know the gospel. But we never tire of talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting. A, a few weeks ago, um, Olivia and I had the opportunity to go to um, Jamonville. Yeah, Jamonville, that's what it was called. It's, it's about an hour south of here, um, over towards Uniontown, the mountains there. And in Jamonville, there's the cross. And you go up onto the mountain, and, and I got to share from, with a friend, or a friend asked me to come and share with a group of college students from Waynesburg University. And when we were there, kind of as a, a little icebreaker, as a little introduction, what I did is we went around the room, and we asked all, all these kids, what is the greatest problem, problem that the world is facing today? And it's interesting it's interesting, and maybe just think about that even for yourself. How would you answer that? But you had all these freshmen, or from freshmen to seniors, and, and their answers. And, and it was interesting as you, as they would respond, you know, some would say that, that it's injustice. And there, there's just this injustice in the world, and things need to be made right. Others would say, you know, uh, human trafficking and, and sex trafficking I think that's the most prominent issue. That's the most prominent thing that's wrong. And other would, others would say, you know, the, the government and, and this or that. But then as we kept talking, we, we, we heard everything. And, and throughout, we just had this conversation back and forth. You would hear kind of their, what they're studying. And, and it was, a lot of it was a reflection of what's in their heart, like what their passion is and, and how almost their worldview, right? And I think that's a pretty neat way to—, to um, just open this morning and asking ourselves, what is the greatest problem that we, the world, faces today in society? But to know that, to ask that question, no matter who you ask, I, I guarantee that there's not one person that will say that the, the world, the earth, is without pro a problem, right? Each of us recognize within our hearts that something just isn't right, that something's off, and, and man, whenever, whenever we even said that this morning, what, what was that thing that popped into your head? That, in, that injustice or, or this situation or this group of people have done, or, or this isn't being taken care of. This group of people aren't being helped. 
we recognize that is not right. See, you recognize and I recognize that there's sin at the root of it all, man. And all those, all the, all those problems, all those issues, they are relevant and, and they do matter. But they're just symptoms of, of something deeper and, and of the one root problem. And, and that's that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world of sin. It's evidence throughout the Bible too, right? God, God reveals that. He makes it clear. You start in Genesis, and, and I remember back one time shared this, and he's like, you turn three pages in, and it, there's three pages of God creating the earth and, and, and Adam fellowshipping, walking with God and, and enjoying his presence. And then the rest of the Bible is God's plan to, to reconcile man back to himself. You, you see, you know, all the murders, all the injustices, there, there's sexual immorality, there's lies, there's, there's deception in the lives of, of, these, of these folks in history who God lays out. You read that and you, you see that something's not right. God, God's showing us, God allows us to realize through that, again, sin, the root of it all. We know it, we feel it. Ultimately, not just it's the symptoms of sin we see played out, but it comes down to us personally, right? We have to pause. And, and God, at the root of it, when we strip all those things away, we realize that man, that you and me, each individually, are not right with God apart from Christ. That's the, that's the root of it all. And so we recognize that. So God lays out, man, in, in his word, his plan to bring man back to him. So even, in, you know, we're studying through Bible college, and it's cool. Um, Mike has been teaching through Genesis. But if you were to summarize kind of Genesis in, in one way, it's man has a problem or man has a need. That's what you realize. Even, even the 12 tribes of Israel, like the, the patriarchs, right? Abraham and, and all these, they're, they're sin. They're not perfect people. And, and it's interesting, the last verse in Genesis, if you look, it says in, in um, Joseph died, right, in Egypt. It ends with death. There's a problem. Exodus then is God's redemption. How God redeems a people that have a problem, that are in bondage to sin. And it's the number two book in the Bible because there's this comparison. It wants to see, it can contrast man's problem versus God's solution. It can contrast um, sin or unholiness with God's holiness and how he can make the two meet and how he, how he does that. So number two, this comparison. So all of this we see throughout the gospel, I'm sorry, throughout the Bible, the gospel or message in the Old Testament in, in, in these shadows, in these forms, right? And then you get to, you get to Matthew, you get to the New Testament, and, and who's the prophet that's er, there? John the Baptist. And what, what does he say, man? He's standing there and he says, Behold, behold the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And you see, even, even um, when, when, it's funny, when you come up here to share, it's like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to teach on? What, what do you want me to share? Because this is your people, this is your time, and this is your word. So I want to do, and I want, I want to talk about what, what you want, Lord. Not what I think we should hear, but really what, what God is. And, and so even, you know, growing up and in the church and, and kind of sitting here, and the Lord's really been working on me in the past few months there, but there's this tendency, I don't know, when, when somebody comes up and, you know, you're in Christ, you know the gospel, man, you're, you've, it's a reality for you. And somebody says, this morning, we're just going to talk about the gospel. And I, and I learned, God showed me and convicted me over this, is that how my heart responds to that is an indication of something deep within me. If my heart responds, and I'm not, so I want you to, let me back up. I'm not saying this to condemn you, because, man, I, I've, I've, I was convicted over this. And I'm saying this because God's, he, he, he's helped me through this. But if our heart's response is, okay, I know the gospel message. I know that I'm saved. So I'm checking out for the next 45 minutes. That tells us that we don't really understand all that it is and all that it means for us. Even as Christians. See, because the gospel is for those outside of Christ. It's God's news that there's hope that you can be reconciled to God. But for those in Christ, those who, 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 the gospel, man, you know that, it's all of our life. And it plays, and it matters in, in every aspect of your life. And I like how Paul, it's interesting, uh, Tim and I, we didn't plan this by any means, but remember how he ended last week in going through uh, this um, third John there. 
at the end, he said, you know, it's not about all these schemes. It's not just going to this person and talking to them. It's not going to this meeting. It's not going to divorce care, this and that. The, the Lord can use those things to, and, and it's, but it's his wisdom, right? It's, it's the wisdom that's found in Christ. It's the wisdom that's found in the word, pointing us back to Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's what we ended with. He, he pointed out there in 1 Corinthians, Paul, he came to the Corinthians and he said, uh, this one thing that I preach is Christ crucified. And that's, that's I'm going to keep giving you Christ crucified, Christ crucified. But why? I mean, why for us who, who you've been walking with Christ? He continues on in um, 1 Corinthians there. And in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, look what he says. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he says more— or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which, catch this, you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so for the reality for us, we're going to, again, in Romans 3, we're going to look at the gospel in which you stand this morning. And if you're not standing in the gospel, if, if, if kind of you're just going through the motions, you've never asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. And so, see how this message applies to all of us? I mean, I was just even thinking about, I think it's Psalm 40. Correct me, I, I can't remember. But it's, it's Psalm 40 or 42. It says, uh, where God, he picked me up out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon the rock, and he established my goings. You see, I, I was just thinking about that. You've been set upon the rock, Christ, when you place your trust in, in, in his finished work on the cross. And that's the rock on which we stand even. So it's neat to think about. Okay, so we're in Romans 3. We're looking at it here. As we looked at verse 21, the first two words, Paul says, but now. But now. And whenever you see that, when he says, but now, that means that there's a comparison he, he's transitioning. And, and if you go back and read the first uh, Roman, the end of Romans 1, chapters 2, and the beginning of chapter 3, Paul has laid out there how that every single person is under sin. Every single one of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. In, in Romans uh, the, ch chapter 1, verses 8 through 32, he, he talks about there how man tests God. He tests God, and he, he either rejects him or he, he approves him. Man, man says, man, I, God, I, I, I hear about it. I, I recognize you. But then he chooses to say no and to rebel against God. That, that is kind of even a picture of what some may call as like the heathen, right? Just totally rejecting and, and forsaking all that God is and all that he says. But then in Romans 2, uh, through uh, 3.20 here, Paul addresses the moral person, and he wants us to see that just because you grow up in, in a quote-unquote Christian home, a Christian nation, just because you're going through the religious motions, man, you're just as in need of a Savior. We're just as guilty of sin as the heathen who has totally rejected God and wants nothing to do with him. He points out there that, um, you know, your, your religious religiosity—sorry, I couldn't say that— doesn't save you. That doesn't make you righteous. He points out that just because I read the Bible, um, because I go to a Bible study, because my family's saved, even he, he, he talks about just because you quote-unquote do good, man, you're, our good, the world's good is tainted oftentimes with selfish motives. And Paul isn't doing that to, to beat us up, but he's doing that because, and the Lord's doing that because he wants us to see, right, the need that we have. That we're in need because the most—how <laughs> how horrible it is to, to, when you see somebody in need and, and you just pat them on the back and say, you're okay, bro, right? Because you're lying to them. But God doesn't lie to us. He's honest because he loves us. And see, the reality is, like we see in verse 21, there's a world, there's each and every one of us, we're in need. But now, and that tells us that there's hope. There's hope for this world. There's hope for, like we pointed out even as we began, what is the greatest need for the world today is that we have a sin problem and that our sin would be taken care of. So the hope of God, God our hope, we're not without hope. 
But now the righteousness of God, of God apart from the law, is revealed. And what we're going to do is we, as we walk through this this morning, we're going to take our time and we're going to break down some of these religious terms, right? The Christianity terms. Because a lot of times we can say them and we can throw them out there, but have we really thought about and have we really looked at what the Word of God says about these? Because we want to understand it. Because when you really understand the truth and the, and, and the depth of what God is telling us here, you'll see how it applies to all of your life and it applies to all of my life. So he says the righteousness of God. Now we have to ask ourselves then, <laughs> what is righteousness? What is righteousness? Well, righteousness, simply you can say that it means what is acceptable. What is acceptable or what, what makes a person or, or what makes a thing acceptable? And Paul's saying here, the righteousness of God. And, and those last two words of God are key because he wants us to realize that, man, we're taking this from God's perspective. And that's the way that we always need to understand and we always need to look at it. Not the righteousness of man is what's acceptable in man's eyes. The righteousness of God is what is acceptable in his eyes. So we start with God. And he says, the, as, as we look here, he, he lays out the gospel. And it's the gospel of Christ where we see the righteousness of God, which is revealed. As, as we break this down too, and as you see, I found this so encouraging to know that the gospel is not an afterthought of God. God's righteousness, the way that we can be made right with God, is not an afterthought. It's not a plan B. It's not that he gave us the law. He gave human law, the, the law, and he said, do this and that, and they, they failed. So because they failed, man, I guess I got to have the backup plan, and, and, and I'll send my son to save them. But in Revelation 13, it, sell, it tells us that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. You see, this tells us that the gospel and God, God's plan to reconcile you and me was intentional. And it tells you that you matter to him. You're not an afterthought. You're not a plan B. It's not, I guess this failed, so I'll have to do X, Y, Z. This was God's plan for you and for me. And so this righteousness, he says, it's revealed apart from the law. So, so we see then, this is, how, this is how we can be right, how we can be acceptable in God's eyes, because we realize our sin <laughs> means that we've missed the mark. We're, we're unacceptable. There's something, we've fallen short of God's perfection, his holiness. Now I'm, un, I'm, I'm unacceptable. That's what Adam realized as soon as he sinned, didn't he? What did he do? It says that, that he hid, right? He hid himself. And, he, and, he, and he, he was hiding from God, and, and God said, Adam, where are you? And the Bible tells us that he tried to cover himself with fig leaves, right? Again, because there's something about me that, that, that needs covered, that isn't right. And yet, the Lord says, Adam, where are you? Not because God didn't know, but he, again, that's what Paul was doing. God wants us to see where are we, realize that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, now, we have to understand this. The law was God's covenant with, with his people, right? God's covenant he gave. The law revealed God's holiness, his character, his perfection. And yet, it was his covenant that, that Israel would keep the law and that they would be set apart, that they would be different from the world. They would, and, and the rest of the world would see them. And, and it would be a reflection of God. But he says that, that this righteousness now, this hope that we have, it's not the law anymore. It's a new covenant. It's a new covenant of blood. And it's revealed, right? And I like that. When, when something's revealed, it's clearly seen. It's clearly there for all of us to see. In verse 22, he's, or, um, sorry, I skipped ahead. It says, being, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, all of, all of the Old Testament foreshadowing and, and pointing to Christ. Even verse 22 the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's stop there again. He says again, the righteousness of God. Remember in Judges, at the end of Judges, in, ver in, in chapter 21, 20, uh, verse 25, it says that in those days, or in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we need to realize 
that we can produce a righteousness or, or there's a righteousness what is acceptable in our own eyes. And that's not what God is talking about. It's not, it's, it's not a morality where we earn our way back to God, where, where we do enough good. This is God's righteousness because the reality is those things can never make us right in God's eyes. And so many today are still under that. They, they don't realize, um, they, they think that because they're righteous in their own eyes, they, don't, they, they miss, they don't understand that they're not righteous in God's eyes. And that's the need. There's that sin problem that persists. If you turn to the right, go to Romans uh, chapter 10. Look, at, look with me there, starting with verse 3. Check this out. Not only do we see that in the Old Testament, but in, in Romans 10, chapter, or verse 3, we see there, Paul continues, he says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So what is he saying there? That, that the world, there's even an ignorance to God's righteousness. And they seek to establish their own righteousness. In essence, I'm saying, I'm going to make myself right. I'm going to make myself acceptable. I'm going to do X, Y, Z that I might be made righteous. That, that, and you see that in society. And you even see that in the church right? For us practically, man, those who are in Christ, you know that you're made righteous, that you're cleansed, that you're acceptable because of what Christ has done. But now play, play that out practically on the day-to-day -day basis. How does this matter to me and to, to you? Don't raise your hand, but I'll raise my hand because I'm huge. I struggle with this. Are you a people pleaser? Do you try to find your acceptance by what others think about you and their opinion? whether they approve of you or not, whether somebody likes my post on Instagram or my Facebook, or whether, you know, my friend James said hi to me this morning, then, then I feel righteous. I feel acceptable now. And so even as, even for us in Christ, we can navigate life and, and it can be this up and down life because we're, we're looking for this acceptance and we're missing the fact that even practically God says that you are accepted, not, not because of how many likes you have, not because James said hi to you, although I love when James says hi to me, not because people are pleased with you, but because you're declared righteous in my eyes by what Christ has done. And so there's, see how it's healthy for us to talk about this. And, and the world needs to know this, guys. The world's, are, the world's looking for acceptance. And he says it's found here. That we don't have to go around uh, trying to establish our own righteousness anymore. You're made righteous, this imputed righteousness of Christ. The gospel is that God freely gives you this acceptance. You don't have to earn it anymore. This righteousness of God through the gospel that's available to us, think about it. It's the positive aspect of, of salvation as well. It's the righteousness that satisfies, not only cleanses all the wrongs that we have done, but satisfies the positive aspect of righteousness, of what pleases the Lord. How do I, how do I know this? How can we see this? Well, you're in Romans 3. Look at me with verse 31. We read there, Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Paul says, do we then make void the law through faith? So what he's saying, does the law, is it totally doesn't matter anymore? I'm going to throw it out the window because of faith, because I know that I'm not um, made righteous by keeping the law anymore. What does he say? He says, certainly not. For contrary, we, for contrary, we establish the law. And what, what does he mean there? Paul's saying, guys, is that the law, in essence, it's established through faith. It's established because Christ came and he fulfilled the law. He kept it perfectly the positive aspect of righteousness. And now it's established. Christ, he affirms the law because he kept it. And now see that positive aspect is available to you and to me through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So do you see now how the righteousness of God is fulfilled and you are accepted in his sight because of Christ? And understanding this and walking through this, see this takes away, there's part of the church and, and, and as Christians, we can, 
fall into this trap of just saying, oh, brother, it's okay. You're accepted. You're, 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 you know, there's no, you don't have to people please. But do you see when we dig down into it and, and it reveals and um, it start, we let the word of God search our heart that it's healthy for us to understand and to look at these things. So verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. How do I experience this? How do I apply this? Well, we see then it's through, it's through faith. But what is faith? Faith is knowledge of the truth that results in a resting on or resting in that truth. So now it's a knowledge of the truth. I know it. I know the facts. I know what it means. Man, I'm looking at it. But you see, it has an implication. There's an application there. It, it causes us to, to rest into it, to trust in that truth. It's not simply a knowledge. I like how Martin Lloyd-Jones, he puts it this way. He defines biblical faith this way. He says that no longer, that the person who has faith in Jesus Christ, they are no longer looking at himself or herself, to himself, at what um, he once was, what he is now, what he, he hopes to be as a result of his own efforts. Biblical faith means that you look entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ's finished work and you rest on that alone. Wow, is right. Man, when you place your faith, when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, it's not saying, man, I hope that I'm not going to be a jerk to my wife today, or, or I hope that I'm not going to complain about work or whatever the situation is. It's not about that. It, it's that I'm, I'm just trusting fully. I, I, I'm relying on, leaning on all that Christ has done. And that reality and it's interesting, we, we talked about the Passover, right? We looked at Exodus chapter 12. And I like how, I like how the Lord allows us to see in pictures, because sometimes pictures, they help me a lot to learn. But remember what they were to do is they were to take the blood of the lamb that was slain. And they were to take that blood, blood and, and, and they would take it and they would apply it. They would put it on the doorpost, right? And the Lord said that when you do this, because you have done this, I will, I will pass over. You won't, you won't die. You'll be saved. There, there's a life. The application of the blood. <laughs> but what, man, imagine if you were the firstborn son. Is this really going to work? <laughs> Dad, did you put enough blood on it? <laughs> did you make sure that you covered it all? But you see, even in that, it, it's not— there was an opportunity they had to apply in it. Uh, yes, they participated with God in, in applying it, but then they had to trust that God would keep his word. And he's saying it's, I, yes, it is the blood, but it's not, it's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's because I'm going to keep my word. And, and you were trusting that, that because you kept, because I will fulfill my covenant, I will, I will keep my word, that that's what's going to save you. And you see, for us, Guys, that's the reality for us. It's not just, man, I hope that I can muster up enough faith, but it's the fact that God said, God said it, and it's done. And it's from that, it's settled, and we reason from that. It's through faith in Christ, that alone. And you see, that causes you and I to live a life of rest, doesn't it? Because it's finished, man. I don't have to strive. I don't have to, I, I don't have to struggle. I don't have to muster up enough faith anymore. I'm just, Lord, you said it, and, and, and that's it. That settles it. And so now, he says, we live lives of rest. We live Sabbath lives. So even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, verse 22, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and we've talked about this. We've went through that sin and missing the mark. We've trespassed every single one of us. We are all sinners. And I like that. God says, or Paul, Paul the word through Paul says here that it's on all and to all who believe. See, God made it available to all because all are in need. He, that's God's grace. And I, and I like this too. I didn't learn this. Studying it in Exodus, did you know I, I didn't realize that, that Israel was worshiping other gods in, in Egypt. And it's not, God didn't save them because they were better. 
because they were more moral or, or, or anything like that. They needed to be saved. They needed the blood just as much as those apart, in essence, in the world did. And that's the reality. See, we are sinners, guys. We're no worse than anybody else. And it doesn't matter if you told one lie, if you thought one thought, thought of, of coveting, whatever it may be, then, then the murderer. We're all under sin. And that's the reality of it. But he's made it available to all. And then, but look what he's done in verse 24. He says that being justified freely by his grace, grace, ooh, being justified freely by his grace. Now justified, that's a legal term. Where's Tim when, or where's the lawyers when you need them? It's a legal term. And it's, I, I didn't realize this, but, but being justified, that's a declaration. You're declaring it. It's a legal term. You're being declared. Now, but what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, you can break it down this way. It's an easy way to remember what justified mean. When you're justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. You see that? This is that through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been justified. God looks at you like we sing today, just as if you've never sinned. Because he doesn't see our righteousness anymore, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who perfectly kept and fulfilled the law, who is accepted by God. It's been imputed unto you and unto me. So we're justified by this grace. It's that free gift. It's how grace makes it available to all. Grace says it's not because you, you, you have a Jewish heritage. Grace says it's not because you attended church. Grace says God has freely given it to you. Man, and we should rejoice in that, don't we? It's by grace, man, we're saved. Causes us to worship. But the reality to know that you have been justified, that frees you from condemnation. Because the reality, because all of us are sinned, that means that all of us, we can be condemned. Now, when we say condemned, that means when, when you feel condemnation, when I feel condemnation, what we're saying is that I realize that I've fallen short and I'm guilty. I deserve the punishment. That's what it means when you, when you feel, when I feel condemned. But you see, when you understand, because Christ has, has borne my sin and your sin upon the cross, you don't need to struggle with that anymore. And how, but how do I do that? It's not, well, Lord, I, I know, I, I know I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling condemned over my sin, man. That those things that I've done in the past that I know that are wrong, we're not justifying, Lord, I, well, you know, it was a light, white lie, and, and I, I, what else was I supposed to do in explaining our way out of it? That's not what the Bible says. You see, remember Jesus said in the gospel, he said that if your adversary comes, comes against you and he has something against you, what did he say to do? He says to agree with them quickly. And that's what we're to do. So even when we feel condemned, what are we to do? Agree with it. Yeah, I, I'm a sinner. Man, I've done those things. And I've done a lot more rotten things than that, if you only knew my heart. But the reality is that there's a greater truth. And it's that those sins have been paid for. And that I'm justified. And it's not because I'm not justifying myself in my own eyes. I'm not justifying myself because I read my Bible this morning. I'm not justified because of that. But I'm justified because it says that Christ died for my sins. And he bore my sin upon himself. So do you see how that free, it's, the gospel is a freeing doctrine. And we're not condemning anybody, huh? We're not condemning anybody who struggles with condemnation. But we're saying, look, this is the reality of God's answer to it. So we're free from condemnation. <laughs> so we, we must never look for justification elsewhere. The Pharisees did this. In Luke 16, uh, verse 15, Jesus, speaking of the Pharisees, he says that you are those who justify yourselves before men. Our justification is only found in Christ. But how? Let's keep breaking this down. He says, you're being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How is that free gift made possible? You see, 
It's on the cross where, where God's justice and his wrath is poured out against our sin. It's fulfilled by Christ on the cross. We must realize that. And he's saying here that you and I, that we have been redeemed. And that means to be released. It means to be freed from bondage of slavery. There's been a ransom that has been given for you and I. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. He, he says here that Christ came to give his life a ransom for many. See, it's his life that is the ransom that frees you and I from sin. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says that this ransom that was given, it's not money, it's not riches, it's not anything that you can conjure up or that you can find in the world, but it's you've been redeemed and I've been redeemed by what? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, it's the blood of Christ now that has redeemed us, that has paid our ransom. God's justice, his wrath has been fulfilled. It's been met on the cross. And because it's been poured out, you've been made free. You've been bought back. See, that, to know that you've been freed from the power of sin. Yeah, we still struggle because we live in, in the world. We live in, in these fleshly bodies, right? So we wrestle with sin. But sin no more has, has no more power over you and me. You've been set free. Not only that, but the fact that you've been redeemed tells you that you have purpose. But how do we know that? Put a marker here and turn to the left. Go to the book of Isaiah. I want to look at this with you. Isaiah chapter 43. I like, I like when oftentimes you have to go to the Old Testament or you turn to another book and it's one of the big books because it's a lot easier to find, isn't it? Isaiah 43. It's after the Psalms. Isaiah 43. So I know, help me to see. Let's look at, Lord, show me how, how the fact to know that I've been redeemed, that I've been bought back, how does that tell me I have purpose? Well, look, look at this. Starting with verse 1, we see, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. So, Right there, we see that as he's talking to them, he's, he, he's saying, look, this is the fact that you've been redeemed. But look at this. He says, I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name. Catch this. He says what? You are mine. Do you realize that this morning? You are mine? Okay, so redemption, because you've been bought back, that means that I've been under sin. Something else controlled me. Because the Lord says that you are mine, that it gives you identity, too, and it gives me identity. So we have identity in that. There's no more fear. But keep reading on. He says, you are mine. In verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Man, that would be a great song, wouldn't it? Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and, and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, I have, or you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, verse 5, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Okay, catch this. Look at this, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name... Whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him and I have made him. So how does the fact that God has redeemed you and has called you, that he says that you are his, you are mine, that he loved you, how does that give me purpose in life? Well, listen to what David Guzik says. He says, God not only created us, but he created us with a purpose. If we have no creator, then we are purposeless. But God has created us and, and has a purpose for us creating us for his glory. This means that, we are that when we are glorifying God, that you are fulfilling your purpose. We were created, uh, that you were fulfilling the purpose that you were created for, and that you will be the happiest and that you will be most fulfilled. So what is your purpose? What is my purpose? Guys, it's simply to glorify God and to make him big, to make him known. 
his glory, his weight, the reality of that. And there's purpose in that. And that, that means whatever you're doing. That means if, if you're climbing cell phone towers. That means if you're working in the medical, bill, medical field. Or that means if you're, if you're a tax accountant, whatever it is, your purpose is to glorify God. God has called you, and you are His. And I like that too. You see, it's not, when I find identity there, I see when Olivia and I got married, there was a breaking away from another, wasn't there? From her, her, her parents. She, she left her last name, and she took my last name. See, because she's now, quote-unquote, mine, right? She's taken my name. See, when God says that you are His, He calls the church, you, His bride. And so you have His name. Isn't that amazing? So it's not just, man, find your identity, not in the world, not in your job, not in this. But do you see how when we take our time and when we look at it, that these are realities for us to sit in, to know. So you have identity. We have purpose. Turn back with Romans 3. So you've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because God and his forbearance had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Let's break that down a little bit. So we see that God has set forth Christ. We, we looked at this. It's, it's the cross, man, has been declared. This is how God is dealing with sin. It's set forth for the world to see, for all to know throughout humanity. We, we talked about John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. It's a public declaration. declaration. So that means that if God w- wants us to know, shouldn't we be declaring that to others too? Man, it's not just for us to keep to ourselves. That's what happened to Israel, right? They kept it to themselves and they were so exclusive, man. We're to go out, declare, tell others about this. And he said that he set forth Christ to be as a propitiation by his blood. See, that word propitiation, if, if, what that really means is it's, it's the propitiation, God, or Christ on the cross, it's where God's um, fulfilled his justice, where his, my sin, you see, God, because God is just, he must punish sin. And it's on the cross where that's fulfilled. It's God's appeasement of his wrath. It's the satisfaction of God's righteousness at my sin. John Owens puts it this way. He says that it's Christ being a propitiation by his blood. It means this. It means that there there was an offense, but that offense was taken away. He says it's the reality that there is a person who's been offended, who needs appeased. That's God and his justice. His justice needs to be met. Number three, he says that there's a person guilty of the offense, and that's you and I. And propitiation also means that there, but there's an opportunity to make atonement for that broken fellowship. And you see, it's the reality of, man, it's not glossing over sin. It's not pushing it under the rug, pretending like it never happened. But I have sinned. But yet the fullness of God's wrath was born on Christ. And it was paid for there. And so now there can be atonement with you and with God. There can be an at-one-ment with God. So it's poured out there, and it's by Christ's blood. It's interesting, if you talk, if if you look at this, blood in the Old Testament, man, blood being poured out, animals dying, the um, Cain and Abel, it says that his blood cried out from the ground, that something was wrong. Blood, the reality is God wants us to see blood, there's, there's been death, there's something wrong, right? But he goes on in Leviticus uh, 17, 11, he says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, uh, to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Not only that, in Hebrews 9, 22, it says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sin. You see, 
the blood. It's God's wrath poured out. It's, it's his justice appeased, justice met. And it's, and it's there where we see Christ and his love saying, I'll bear their sins, God, that they might be now at one with you. That, that, that they can be reconciled to you. God would be willing to say, my son who's done nothing, I'd be willing to let him die. Not that he deserved it, but because I desired you. Do you see that? But the blood also tells us this in Colossians 1.20. You can go read it later. The blood tells you that you now have peace with God. We no longer have to be anxious. Man, and yes, yeah, situations happen. Transmissions blow. I can't find creamer for the coffee sometimes. But even in the midst of all of that, you can be at peace with God. Because at the end of the day, all that's going to pass away. And I know you have peace with God for eternity, right? You're not en enemies with God because God's, although I, my sin says I, I, I've broken God's holiness and I deserve to be enemies with God, that justice and wrath has been fulfilled. There's peace with God. Not only that, 1 John 1, 7 says that you have been cleansed by the blood. And so we can come back to the, to the Lord always and we can know, you can know that you've been cleansed even when you fall, even when we stumble and when we sin. He says there that um, in his righteousness, verse 20, 25, at the end of 25, sorry, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. That word, pass over the sins previously committed, it really means that the Lord in his patience has passed over sin, in all, all of it before Christ, that, that ultimately looking forward to in the fulfillment of that in Christ. He, he, he was forbearing. He, see, because if God wasn't forbearing, the moment you and I sinned, we deserved God's wrath and justice. But God was forbearing. And we know that even now, it's not that God's slack concerning his promises, right? But what does the Bible tell us? He waits because that others may come to know him. He passed over. Uh, there's that remission there's a remission of sins. The word remission is actually, it's in the Roman law, it spoke of when somebody wrote a will that they were intentionally left a person out of their will. Now think about that. God intentionally says, I, I'm not going to put this to your account according to law, right? He's intentionally leaving our sins off. Not, again, not overlooking it, but because it's been fulfilled already. See, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this. He says that it's at the cross that God was declaring publicly his eternal love and justice. And so as we just end and, and Olivia and Grant come back up, I, I, I want you to think about that. See, it's God's justice. Now, I, I, when I feel guilty, I know that that's been paid for, right? We know that. But man, what about all we need is love, right? Was that the Beatles who sang that? Who was that? Love, 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 right? What about the need to know that I'm loved and accepted? See, the cross declares that to you, but how? I'm going to read this quote to you um, by Tim Keller. He says this. He says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. That type of love, this love, this true love, it liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. So what he's saying there, you know, God, God fully knows us. He fully knows our sins. Man, he knows my deepest and your deepest, darkest secrets, the, the, the crusty and the cruddy parts of our hearts. It's not hidden from him, and yet he says that he loves you. Right? And it's demonstrated that he gave his son on the cross. And so there's no more trying to veil over it. He says, no, I fully know you, and I fully have loved you. 
And, and there's a freedom that, guys, we can live in today, that you can live in. And it liberates us, and it gives us, like he says, it, it, no more self-righteousness. I don't have to try to justify myself anymore to make myself acceptable for God. You've been declared righteous and accepted because of what Christ has done. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Well, you see, how do I know this? One last thing. Romans chapter 5. We're just going to read a couple more verses as, as Livy just starts our last song here. Romans 5, it says, Therefore, being justified with faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace. Catch this into which you stand. Guys, we stand in this. But not only that, keep going in verse, or excuse me, keep going down through verse five. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. And see, the reality is that if you hear this morning or you're watching and you're not right with God, it starts there. Because there's a, we're going through difficulties and trials and it's telling us that's just because we live in a fallen world. And we need to make, be made sure that we're right with God. And the Bible says that the only way that you're made right with God and that I can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. Because I can't be good enough. I can't earn it. I can't do anything. But yet, for those of you who are in Christ, you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ says that God fully has known you, yet he has loved you. And so even in that, because I know that he's delivered me from my sins, my greatest need that I have, he's done that. I've waited for him. He, I have hope now for eternity. But as you navigate day to day on this basis, he says, man, keep hoping in God. You can hold firm. You have hope because God's delivered me from my sins. He's done that. Then he, he, I, I will persevere and I can make it through whatever life might throw at me. And you see, it's not just Christian terms. It's not just nice feelings that we know this, but it's the truth of God's word that tells you and me this. So Father, we thank you for this morning, God. And we just pray, God, if there's anybody again who's never surrendered their life to you, that today would be the day of salvation. God, and we thank you for that hope and that reality. God, we thank you for loving us, God. Not in just words, God, but in deed. And, and how even in Romans 5, 8, it says that God demonstrates his love towards us. And while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so this morning, God, we just want to bask in that. And we just want to thank you, God. We want to praise you for that. God, and, and as we sing, Lord, you are stronger. We thank you, God, that you are stronger than the, what the law had on us, the penalty of our sins, God, that we're condemned and that we're guilty. God, that, the Christ, that Christ's blood poured out, on us, poured out for us has fulfilled that, God. And now we have been delivered. We've been set free. And so, Lord, we thank you for that reality this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.